And now, back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on TalkZone.com. Maybe it's just as well we got disconnected because I might have been in some hot water at home if that conversation kept going. I thought you are always in hot water at home. We're going to get to an interview you and I taped several weeks ago with Basketball Hall of Famer, Laker great Elgin Baylor. What a great guy he was. Yeah, you know, people look at uh, some of the players today soaring up around the rim. Way back when, Elgin Baylor was the first guy I can remember doing anything acrobatic like that. He actually called me a week after the interview, like I told you, and he said, you know what, I was thinking about that interview. I wanted to just put a disclaimer out there. When kids are going to pick a college, the first person they should get advice from is their parents, not their coaches, either in high school or the college coaches recruiting them. He says, I just want to make that clear that the parents are the most important person to talk to. So let's get right to an interview we did with Elgin Baylor. I see that you were born in Washington, and then you played your college basketball at Idaho when you started. How do you go from Washington, D.C. to Idaho for college? How does it go? My train. No, I was just kidding you. <laughs> no, believe it or not, it did. Uh, no, you know, what had happened uh, in Washington, D.C., you know, uh, the, the schools were, you know, at Saviate at the time. I went to high school in Washington, D.C. And when we played there, uh, uh, the black schools, we never played white schools. We never played against one another. We never got any press from white press. So any, really, people didn't know anything about, you know, about D.C. schools. And there was a lot of good basketball players there in that, in that, in that city. Uh, so happened, uh, uh, my final year there in school, my senior year, a friend of mine that played at another black school named Warren Williams, uh, we played against one another and we became friends. His father somehow was connected with uh, the, the Glow Trotters, knew the people, the owners, some of the Glow Trotters. You know, they played everywhere. And they played someplace in Idaho, uh, someplace, somewhere around there. Someone saw him. It so happened, uh, he talked to his son, and he talked to someone about Idaho, about his son possibly going to school there. And so his son and I were very good friends. And so when <clears throat> uh, when he talked to the people in Idaho, WW, that was a friend of mine, Warren Williams, he mentioned the fact that he had a friend that would like to bring a friend you know, along with him, you know, to school then. And he went there on a football scholarship. He played basketball, but he was, a, he was a, probably a better football player than the basketball. So he told him that he had another friend that played basketball. And because I knew nothing about me, obviously. So that's how I went there. So actually, to be honest, I, I think they thought I was going there to play football. And they must have made, you know, somehow I got out that I was going there to play football. So that's how I ended up in Idaho. Because I, because none of the schools ever, you know, came to watch us or anything, knew anything about the black black schools, none of the black players, none of the black players ever went to any of the white colleges. I probably was, I believe, I was probably the first to go there on professional basketball. What was that transition like, going from uh, Washington <laughs> D.C. 
Well, well I, I, I'll assume there weren't a whole lot of blacks in Idaho at the time. No, no, hardly any. In fact, I didn't didn't see any. It, well, Willie had one. R.C. Orange, remember the football player that played the 49ers. He was okay. a football player at the time. He was the only black student there. You know, it was a small town. You know, it was like the population. I don't know. I don't know if it was 20,000 or what, what. It was, you know, a small town. You know, residential. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was different. The people were nice, you know. Nice and cordial. The coach was Sam Vokes. He was, you know, very, you know, was hard, you know, straight. But, you know, he was a nice, you know, you know, he was a nice person. And the players were receptive. You know, I got along fine with the players. White, you know, the white players. was just, was, it was no problem. And then you go from Idaho to Seattle University. And what, what was right. that, uh, what was that transition like? What well, was you know, it was like? nice because see, College Idaho played. I think you know, I, I don't know what level they played. I don't know what, uh, what was it, a different NCAA and is, uh, I'm trying to think of the other one they called it NIA or whatever it was. N- yeah, NAIA. NAIA. See? And uh, at the time, you know, I wanted to go to a bigger school, get recognition. And so happened I was reading a paper about the O'Brien O'Brien twins. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny and Eddie O'Brien, and you know them. When still having the name Seattle came up, and this was you know really exciting. And I said, "Gee, you go to a big school, we get a chance to play in the NCAA, you know, a, a bigger school." And so happened uh, a, a, a man named Ralph Malone. I guess he was uh, uh, a donor to, to the. I guess that's what you call the time to the school. We give money to the school. He was connected with the Seattle University. I guess he would give money school fund. And he was there, he was a car dealer, and so happened he was visiting in Idaho at the time, a car show or something was going on. And so happened he contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in going to Seattle. I didn't know anything about Seattle, actually, just what I'd read about the O'Brien thing, I didn't know what size school, anything about it. And I said... You know, yeah, I'll be interested because I know that they play at a higher level, you know, as far as the NCAA, a chance of going to the NCAA. I would have an opportunity, providing that we would be good enough. So I, you know, decided I would do that. Went up to the visit, liked it, and decided to transfer there. When you were playing in college, you couldn't play your freshman year. You'd have to sit out, and then, so you played your sophomore year at Idaho, then you had to sit out another year to play two years in no, Seattle? No, no, no. No, when I when I went there, when I went to yeah, when I went to went to Seattle, I had to, when you transfer and thing like it, you have to sit out a year. But I played. I went to school, but I played AAU ball with a team called Westside Ford with that car dealer, with the the, the 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 dealer that came to ask me about going there. I played with his team. They had a team. It was an AAU team, and I played with the AAU team. They called Westside Ford. Did you get a nice Ford? Did they give you a Ford to drive while you're in college? Well, you know, you cannot talk. You cannot talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I had a part-time job, so I was able to, you know, pay for a car to use. And then you get drafted by the Minneapolis Lakers, right? And you join a team that had not been very successful. Yeah, I think you had a couple guys still on the roster, probably Fern Mickelson and Larry Faust, who had been with the Lakers when they had been successful, but that was with George Mikan. Mikan retires and the franchise is floundering. What was that transition like? Well, you know, this, well, you know, was excited to be the first player picked in the draft. You know, I knew nothing about the professional team. You know, I really never, you know, you know, followed professional basketball. 
never did. So I really knew didn't know any you know thing about it, except uh, you know about you know uh, Mankin. You know I saw magazines and stuff about you know George Mankin, but as far as the team, I knew nothing nothing about you know nothing about the team, nothing about Minnesota. And I was just you know happy you know to be, be you know picked you know and especially to be the first player picked in the draft. Minneapolis has a good reputation for blacks and whites getting along together. Was that the way you found it back then in uh, '58, '59? Well, no, you know, I, you know that you know, had, you know, you know, had, had, had no problem. In fact, I lived over in St. Paul, which is, uh, 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 I guess, a few miles from Minneapolis. You know, downtown mm-hmm. Minneapolis. You know, driving there take like fifteen or twenty minutes. And uh, my neighbors, the neighborhood I moved in, my next door neighbor was white, and it was a mixed neighborhood, white and black. So, you know, really, as far as that, there was no problem. I didn't realize that uh, Seattle played in the championship game against Kentucky in 58 when you were there yeah. last year. Yeah, we played, we played Kentucky in, 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 the, uh, in the finals. Who was on that Kentucky team? You know, I don't remember the players that were on that team. I don't know if any of them made it in the NBA. I don't know. I can tell you one thing. At that time, it was an all-white team. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. And we got a little home cooking now. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know a couple of times, you know, officially, you know, I, you know, certain things he missed, and I, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, saved ref for so and so, and he told me to be quiet. Shut up. We talked to, I talked to Vern Mickelson last year, and he met, not Vern Mickelson, I talked to John Condra last year, and he mentioned that he would never have retired as coach if he knew what kind of player you were going to be with the Lakers. He would have <laughs> stayed on. <laughs> No, it was fun, you know, playing. I, I, you know, I enjoyed it, you know, because think about it. The especially Vern, it was, you know, very helpful, you know, with me telling me about the league, how to play certain players, and everything else, you know, about the game, professional game, and really, you know, prepared me, you know, for that because it was such, you know, much more physical than college. And he was let, let me know how it's going to be, and you know, practicing, playing together, and thing. It was, uh, it was enlightening. It really, it really helped me. And the team you joined, most of those players were first or second year players. You had a couple of veterans like Faust and uh, and Mickelson, but well, no, my, yeah, no, no, there was a lot of there was a lot of veteran players on that on that, on that team. You know, because I mean, uh, let me see what I don't know if was that not Rod Hunley. See, I don't know if it was Rod Hunley's you know uh, first year because they had Baron Mickelson, yeah. they, they had Faust, they had Slick Leonard was on that right. team. Uh, Jim Krez, I think, was on that team. Right. You know, I, I don't know if my first year, you know, on my first year, Jim, I know Jim Fred was on that team. I'm trying to think who else was on that team. Yeah. Uh, um, it was Tom, yeah, it was Dick Armaker. My second year. Hi. Dick yeah, Armaker was on Dick that Dick team. Dick Ed Fleming. And, and uh, I think Ed, uh, Ed Fleming and Blue Ellis. Because Blue, Blue Ellis was a rookie. rookie. I think yeah. he came with me. Right. I think Blue Ellis came with me. It was Hot Rod Honey, Blue Ellis, Ed, Ed Fleming. I know Dick Armaker was on it. Larry Fowles with quite a few guys. What was John Connor like as a coach? He was really quiet. He didn't talk much. And uh, uh, he was a, a, a nice man, you know, pleasant man to get along with. I never saw him really angry or upset, you know. And once in a while he would get into it with, you know, like the veteran guy, especially with Faust, Larry Faust sometimes. Larry Faust, they would get in the argument. But other than that, uh, he was a very, you know, pleasant play, a person, you know, to play for. You know, he would, you know, explain things to you, things he wanted you to do, things you didn't do, or anything like that. You know, I enjoy playing for him. Now, you've been Rookie of the Year honors, and you basically saved the franchise 
what was that feeling like to, to come in and have that immediate success? I, you know, I don't know about creating a franchise, but I mean, you know, it was, it was, you know, I was fortunate to be in that type of a situation because all the players there, you know, I got along very well with. We had a very good relationship, you know, with the players. You know, we do things together, go out to eat together, you know, go to the movies together. And, uh, and, and, and the veteran guys would help me along. You know, they'd tell me things that, I, you know, I need to do, things that I need to know. And they were very helpful and really, you know, helped me, was, you know, enlighten me how to play against certain guys, what other players like to do. You know, it's not like as sophisticated as now. You know, you got films, you got tapes, you got scouting reports, you got everything. In those days, you know, you just, somebody might, you know, <laughs> based on what, what they have seen when they have played against the players. Those were the reports we got. How did you average 15 rebounds a game as a rookie when you're only 6'5"? You would think that you'd have to be a 7-footer to average how many rebounds. <laughs> you know what? It's, I, I, you know, I think this. I think it's just desire and determination. You know, because I remember when I, you know, I played recreation ball when I was at you know high school during the summer, you know, playing recreation league, and we had a coach. I can't think of this guy's name. We played in the summer league, and this guy would always say, the team that out-rebounds the other team uh, will win. So the rebound team is the winning team. And he was saying, stressing always how important rebound it was. So, you know, I always thought, you know, like, gee, you know, you know, obviously it might make sense. And I just, just I like being competitive, going against bigger guys, you know, rebounding. And I just, I enjoy rebound as much as, as scoring. Now, everybody knows Michael Jordan, and they say that uh... – Julius Irving was the previous generation of that. But I can remember watching, I grew up in St. Louis. I remember watching you at Keele Auditorium when the Lakers would come in. You had moves on the court that nobody else had. Where did those come from? I mean, to me, you're, you're the, the foundation of, of every, you know, ball player that exhibited flair who's come and played the game since. Well, whatever move that I made, and I wouldn't even know until once I look at the film, once I saw the film, uh, I, you know, it's nothing I ever practice on. You know, you practice on shooting your free throws, you know, your jump shots, your dribbling press, stuff like that. But you only can do that is you're going to have to have a defense. <laughs> and you just anticipate, you know, how the guy's going to play you, and you just react against whatever the defense, how the defense is playing you. You might make a move and you might never do it again, be in that situation. And just, you know, it just, it just happens. You know, and it's, it's, you know, hard to really explain it, but you just react for the situation, whatever, you know, situation you're in. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, to me, there's a certain creativity involved in all that and, like you say, it's never the same play twice. No, and it's something to practice on, see, because you don't know how the defense or what situation you're going to be in, you know, so you don't know, you know. Uh, uh, and, and it just, just just comes, you know. You just create it, you know, as it comes. The defense determines that, you know, what kind of move, the offense move you're going to make. I don't think any player has done what you did. I mean, you take a team from last place to the NBA championship in your first year. Well, you know, I don't know. I've never, you know, followed that. You know, it was just, you know, great to do that, you know, play there in the, uh, for a championship. But, I, you know, I never thought of it that way. I just went there and just hoped I could make a contribution to the team and, and make the team. It'd be an integral part you know, of the team, make, you know, some sort of impact. That's what my initial thought was when I went there. I wasn't thinking about a, you know, championship. 
Who was guarding you with the Celtics in that series? Oh, I don't know if they had Ramsey there. I know Lushkatov used to guard me. They had, I think Ramsey was there. And I don't know if he played the two, the two or the three guarded me. Sometimes he, he did. But mostly later on was Fat Sanders. And then Luskatoff and Fat, Fat Sanders. And there are times, that, a couple of times, that, uh, that they put Russell, <laughs> put Russell on me to guard me. Now, I tell you what the funniest thing, because Allback had put in the paper and thing that, you know, we were going to play, and Allback was a great coach. And real, you know, guy that, you know, obviously that psychology, he would fight, you know, I guess the opponents out. He would say certain things, put certain things in the paper, and I guess see how players or, you know, other teams going to react to it. And he, and he had in the paper, you know, how Russell was going to guard me. You know, put Russell was going to guard me, and Russell and I were knew each other. You know, we knew each other from college, and you know, we had pretty, you know, you know, good relationship. I mean, we talked after the game. Russell and I got to be really good. You know, we got to be really good friends. We would go out together when he came to my you know, city, L.A. to play. He would come to my house for dinner. When I was in Boston, I'd go to his house for dinner. <laughs> and when I read that in the paper, and I walked out there on the floor. And first, you know, I talked to Russell, and I walked up to Russell, and I said, you know, hey, what is this? You, you're not serious about you know, guarding me. You can't guard me. You know, I said that to him, and Russell, you know, he puts on a game face and just totally ignored me. Yeah. Like, I, like I wasn't even there. Just totally ignored me. And he came out and tried to guard me, but he couldn't guard me, you know. I was going to say, if I'm the Boston Celtics, I'd put, you know, Jungle Jim Lutzka top on you. And if, if you get by him, you, you know he'd have to – you got to get by Russell because Russell's the last guy between you and the basket. Well, yeah, well, that's the way they play. They would really play tight defense and try to force you, you know, force you into the mill. That's what they would try to do. But, you know, at, you know, at times if I could see an opening, I'd go or pull up to shoot a jump shot. And I was always aware that Russell was there, you know. <laughs> I was aware. And certainly yeah. at times he's blocked a couple of my shots. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, uh, uh, but I'm saying one-on-one, Russell couldn't guard me one-on-one, no. Sam Jones, we talked to him. He said he could stop you. Sam Jones didn't say that. I know he didn't say that. Huh? He did. He said he knew where you were going. He would watch your head. Get out of Sam Jones. Sam Jones, man, a couple of times Sam Jones switched on me, and I just get out of here. Sam Jones didn't, couldn't check me. I can't believe he said that. You'll have to ask him next time. Uh, he never guarded me. I think Sam likes talking. Yeah, he likes talking. Yeah. I know. <laughs> now, a couple of years into your career, along comes a, uh, a num- another number one draft pick, a guy named Jerry West out of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Could you tell right away he was going to be something special? Well, you know what? In practice, you know, cause Jerry, you know, Jerry didn't. Uh, well, uh, as far as offensive, because I didn't see him play in college. You know, in practice, Jerry never really, you know, t- you know, talked a lot. You know, talked much. You know. And uh, uh, so you never knew what he was thinking or where he was coming from. But you could see, you know, I could see that the guy, you know, uh, just from what I could see in practice, that he was going to be a great defender. He was, you know, a great defender, had great hands, you know, great footwork, and then shooting. was a great shooter. I could see that. I didn't know how well he could handle the basketball, you know, or make plays. And uh, he got better at that. He got really better at handling the basketball and making plays. He just got better and better and better. Because Jerry is one that, uh, you know, he just works at it. Just, just, you know, he's a perfectionist. You know, he just keeps doing it until he gets it perfectly. Okay? So I could see that he's going to, you know, could tell about, you know, about his work ethics and his, uh, you know, how he 
his approach to the game and everything, that you know, he was going to be a great player. What were the players' thoughts when you guys went from Minnesota to L.A.? Were you for the move, or you didn't know what to expect? <laughs> Look, I tell you this. Minnesota was terrific. I mean, the people were terrific. The city, I love the city. It was a nice, beautiful city. But, damn, it would snow every night. <laughs> it would snow. Every night you go to bed, you wake up the next morning, it would snow. Okay? And it was cold. I mean, it, it was really a cold city. And when we got the news, we loved Minnesota. The fans, it was great. But when we got the news that we were moving to Los Angeles, you know, we was ecstatic, you know, about it. Because I had been to California. Well, uh, you know, I, I played in the Cow Palace. I played out in the Cow Palace before in California in the wintertime. And it was sunny and nice and everything else. And, you know, I was excited about, you know, moving that good weather. Nothing to do with Minnesota. People were great. But the fact that we moved to California, good weather, I had to fight that weather. And then you guys got to play in a brand new building at, at the Forum. No, no, it was a sports arena. Okay, but then eventually then the Forum later on, it, The Forum came later on. Was a sports arena. We started okay. in the sports arena, and the Forum came. They built the Forum later on. And how much nicer was the Forum than the sports arena? Uh, it was much nicer. It was bigger, brighter. You know, it was just you know, it's, it's totally different. Like night and day. What made the Lakers so dominant in the late '60s and early '70s? Well, I don't know if we were so dominant, you know. I mean, we, we, we you know we had we had a good team. We, you know, we had good teams. We had good players. We had a type of team. The players, you know, with such great harmony. You know, all the players liked one another. You know, we did things together as a group. You know, we'd go to movies together. We go on the road. You know, play places. You know, we go out to dinner together. And in L.A., you know, you know, players would have each other over to the house, the families. You know, it was like a big family. You know, we had such a great relationship, you know, and no one, you know, cared about who shot the ball or anything else. All we cared about was playing together and winning ball games. It was great harmony. And it seemed every NBA Finals would be the Boston Celtics against the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> yeah, I know. And time and again you went up against them, and time and again the Celtics won. How frustrating well, okay. was that? Well, it was very frustrating. When you, any time you lose, you always want to win. But it was very frustrating. You know, there are a couple of games when, uh, and if it was just one game it could have turned around with this game when it so happened. And it's interesting. I know Selby feel bad about it today. You know, we got the ball and we had a chance. And Selby took the shot. And I th- I'm almost sure it was Selby took the shot. And Selby was a great shooter. And the ball, you know, it didn't go in. And, uh, that time and another time when I don't know the play had to look at the film. The ball was hit to Don Nelson, bouncing. He got the ball and it went, bounces up and it goes in the basket. And I think it was Don Nelson that beat us. I'm yeah, not, not sure. It's been so long ago. Yeah. Now Selby says that that niche 18 footer still haunts him today. You know. Here's oh yeah, yeah. Scored, you know, he scored 100 yeah. points in, in a college game. No, the, the funniest thing, the, 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 I tell you the funny, like Hot Rod was was a guy I like to joke around and clown around. I really like Hot Rod. He's a great guy. And after the game was over, Hot Rod just walked by Selby and I said, well, you know, Selby, great. You just cost me a lot of money. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> I think it's what he said to Frank. And they were just kidding with him. When and I'm sure he's, he's thinking about that. And then there's another time when I'm saying, I don't know who, which someone stole the ball and hit it, and it went right in Nelson's hand. Nelson was standing there, and he shoots it, bounces up, and it goes in. So I guess it wasn't meant to be. When you scored those 61 points in the finals, which is still a record, did you realize? Well, it's not a record, because Jordan has that, but it was a double overtime, overtime or something like that. So that's, not, that's in regulation. 
Right. Oh, but, but yours was in the finals. Jordan's was in the first round against the Celtics. Oh, I thought it was in the finals. No, it's the first round. Like you oh, said, it wasn't? Oh, I thought his was in the finals. Yeah, you still have the record. Oh, I didn't know that. Do you think anybody's ever going to touch that record in the finals? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm sure. I probably. I don't know. I, you know, I've never even thought about it, to be honest. Until somebody, you know, mention it. <laughs> Because somebody mentioned, like you mentioned, somebody asked the other day, and I said, well, you know, Jordan has a record, and they said, oh, he did it in double overtime, and I didn't. So I was thinking it was the finals. That was the first run against the Celtics in... But I mean, I mean, the final game. I thought it was the final game. Oh, no. Oh, was in the, I mean, the finals. I mean, in the finals. I thought it was in the finals. No. Jordan did do it in the finals? He did in the first run against the Celtics, and they lost, but that was against Bird and McHale. It was Jordan and no one else on those teams. Oh. Oh. So along comes Wilt Chamberlain to join the South, uh, to join the Lakers. So you got mm-hmm. you, West, Chamberlain. Did you think, okay, now we have the missing piece? Well, you know, you know, we thought, you know, but think about it. So happened, you know, we just thought that would be, you know, something to counteract, you know, Russell. But the thing about mm-hmm. it, when we got Wilt, I was certain it wasn't the same player because you know I had a serious knee injury. You know, I tore my uh, my. Uh, uh, Patella tendon, and I split my kneecap. And that was, I don't know, I think I was in 64, 65, 65, 65 when right. I did that. And I certainly was not the same player. I mean, it took me a while. The doctor, in fact, the doctor didn't think I would play again. And he said, if you do play again, you know, he was totally honest. He said, you won't play at the same level. He said, this is a serious injury. He said, most people wouldn't be able to play with that. He said, I don't know if he'd be able to play again. So I came to play again. You know, I made the All-Star stuff like that. But I certainly was not the same player. Far from being the same player that I was. You know, the Celtics, I guess, is, you know, playing against them, you know, the Celtics tradition, you know, we, I don't know how many times, we played them so many times in the Flowers. I have no, I don't remember, six, seven times. Do you know? <laughs> it's something. It was. It seemed like every year it was the Lakers, Lakers and something. <laughs> well, I know that, and I certainly wasn't the same player. But I mean, the contribution that I normally could, you know, it, it could make at one time, I certainly wasn't able to make. You know that. And I don't know if I had anything to do with it. You know, they they had a good team. They always had a great team. And with Russell, you know, hey, who beat them? St. Louis beat them once. I think, yeah. but now, yeah. how many times did they lose after that? But St. Louis gave him Russell. They <laughs> traded Russell to the Celtics. I know it. <laughs> I know it. I know that. For Chris Hagan and E.C. Ed McCauley. Yeah. So, I mean, after that, did Russell ever lose again? I don't know if he did or not. No, he I didn't. Think, he won every I don't think series he won after every that. year. Yeah, every year. And, you know, but they had other terrific players, but, I mean, Russell was, you know, he was he, he was a guy. Every Celtic player player with Russell said he was the greatest ever. Do you agree with that? Who Russell was? Yes. All the former Celtics teammates said he was the greatest player in NBA history. Well, with Russell, you know, well, see, you know, it, it depends on you know, how do you determine it. You know, I mean, like, if, 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 uh, if as far as skills, Passing, shooting, and stuff like that. You think that he's better than the best player? No, I think. I he... mean, no, they're based, based on on skills and stuff like that. Russell, listen, if you had a team, want to pick a team and start with a team, and you want to win, you pick a guy with Russell. His desire, his determination, his leadership, how hard he plays, and all that stuff. It's so important, you know. Russell would make any team win. I think he would make make teams win. That. But I mean, the great, you know, the greatest player. I don't know when people say the greatest player. I don't know. Based on what? 
Oh, what I, are you basing on? I agree. Everybody says Jordan. Everybody yeah, what, says, are, what, are you base, what are they basing on? Winning championships. I guess. That's. A, I mean, I would base it on winning championships and skills. I mean, Jordan won six, but a guy who's <laughs> forgotten. A guy who's forgotten besides you is Oscar Robertson. Well, 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 no, but I'm saying Oscar, you know, was a great player. I mean, Jabbar, you know, look at skills. Did Russell have more skills than Jabbar? You know, center, is sure, hook shot, uh, right hand, left hand. I mean, they would look great centers. I mean, they had great skills. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know how you determine. I mean, you know, I don't know. If you put Russell with all those teams, I think he'd still win. See, I just think what he brings to the table, you know, is just incredible. His, you know, I like his leadership, his tenacity, you know, all the things that he brought to the table. You know, I would love to have played with Russell throughout my career. Now, in addition to your being a great player on the court, you also had the reputation of being a team leader. How does somebody become a team leader? How does some? I don't know how to become. I think that's with me was up to the coach. The coach decided who was going to be the captain of the team. You know, it was Fred Schaus. Because I think because the fact that you know I always had a good relationship, you know, with with with, with my teammates. I guess respect. You know, they showed. You know, for me. And I guess, you know, that was, you know, reason. I don't know. The coach is the one that decided that. It was Fred Schaus. Who gave you the hardest time guarding you? Uh, the officials. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the no. They were betting on the Celtics. No, the, the toughest team to play against, you know, even though I, you know, could score against, was the Celtics. And Fat Sanders was a terrific defender. And think about it, I wouldn't so much, you know, he, he was a very good defender, but if you beat him, you got Russell. See? That's the thing about it, you know, with, with Satch, Satch was a, a good defender. Uh, you know, Gus Johnson, I mean, because Gus was a very physical player. You know, he would foul a lot, you know, you and things like that. But Satch would play you straight up. Satch was a very, very, very good defender, Satch. And when you beat him, then you got to deal with Russell. Your career ends after the torn Achilles and you, you come back and it's uh, the 70-71 season and you retire and then you get to see the Lakers go on a, a winning streak like nobody's ever seen before. What, 33 games in a row? Yeah, absolutely. What was it like becoming a spectator and seeing that? No, it was great. You know, after all these years, you know, I think, you know, <laughs> after so many disappointments, you know, like I said, disappointments, we didn't win. You know, I, I was late. I was just, you know, happy for the people in Los Angeles because they've been the great fans. They had, as far as I'm concerned, they were the best fans. They were just, you know, great, you know, great fans. They were always pulling for us behind us, you know, you know, always supportive. You know, really never negative or anything about, you know, losing games or anything. You know, fans disappoint. You know, fans are sometimes say negative things. Never got any of that, you know. And I was just you know, really happy, you know, for, for, the, for the people, the city of Los Angeles. Did you get a ring for that, from that team since you played nine games yeah, that season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not bad. No, it was just great, you know, to see it, you know, because I think <laughs> all we've gone through, <laughs> the team deserved it. What I never got is Jerry West became a Laker executive. Magic was involved as owner of the Lakers. It seems like they took care of their own. Why did you never become an executive with the Lakers? I mean, I know you were with the Clippers for years. Well, it was not up to me. It's up to whoever is, you know, owned the team or whoever to make decisions for the team. Did you ever feel bad that you didn't get a chance to be in the front office with the Lakers? No. No, not at all. What made you decide to get into coaching? (laughs) Because I was asked... You know, I had no intention of doing that. Uh, so happened some 
uh, friends here, people that I knew, uh, bought, uh, got together, an attorney, uh, I think honest, the guy was, yeah, my attorney was involved in it. Uh, and that's, I think, when the jazz, when they bought the New Orleans Jazz, the people group from here. And then they asked me to go down and help out because I wasn't interested in coaching. They said, well, just help out They're going there as an assistant. Would you do that? And, you know, I, you know, as a friend, and I've known these people from some time. So that's how I got into that and went down to help out as an assistant. I don't know who this, who the whole, they, they, they named, I think, a guy named Scotty Robinson. That was a local coach at college there, one of the colleges. Mm-hmm. I think, and so I just go down there as an assistant, help them out. When you got into that, when you went into the Hall of Fame in '77, what Mm -hmm. was that like? No, it was it was great. You know, uh, uh, it was you know great honor to be you know selected as you know as you know a great player as one of the players that they think I'm. you know, yeah, I, I don't know the words can explain it, but it was to me it was you know a terrific honor because there are so many other you know great players that I had admired to just be one of the many, and it was a great honor. Now, when they talk about comparing players and teams of different eras, I I look at your Lakers and I say you could take that team and put them in today's NBA, and they would be. Right at the top. Do you think that's a reasonable assessment? Well, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. You know, you get into you know, the, you know, that argument. You know, about today, and then I, I would say this: if I had to, and I don't know, I, I've talked to a couple other players, but if I had to pick a time to play based on the errors, I would rather play today than then. I, you know, sounds weird, but I think it would be. It'd be to me, and that's why I think it's crazy. It'd be easier because of the rules today. You know, uh, 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 the rules they have today. Just like we play, a guy could put his forearm, put his hand. He could guide you any direction if he's strong defensively. You know, uh, he could do that. Today, you can't do that, right? No, you right? can't. You cannot do touch a guy. They have the restricted area. You know, different things that they have the you know restricted area. You have to live in the basketball. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, they really carry the ball. <laughs> you right. know, and you're doing the ball like that, you can go any direction you want to go if the guy's doing it. But it's fine, you know what I'm saying? I have nothing against it. I wish they had the rules then. I mean, it's fun for the fans. The fans are like, like it. It's exciting. But I think because of the certain rules now, uh, uh, and the restrictions, uh, that it would be easier. I'm not saying easier, but it would be fun. It would be more fun to play today. Also, yeah. off the court, it was, Jerry, then. it was fun then, but it would be fun to fun Like Jerry West told us, off the court, it was hard because, I mean, you were playing three games and three nights, and you weren't taking private planes and everything like that. These guys today have it easy. Oh, the travel. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the travel is unreal. I mean, you know, it's like, like when we played, you know, we would go by trains, we would go by bus. And uh, we had a, a, we finally got a plane at DC three that crashed in a cornfield <laughs> with us. But uh, yeah, we had to go commercial. We would play a game here, and then we had to catch a flight back and play an afternoon game back east. You know, and, uh, and it was really difficult. You know, that time because of the weather. You know, uh, we were stranded different places. Uh, the traveling was was brutal. What was that crash like? Did, did you think this is it? Yeah, this this is it. No, I never I never thought that. 
You know, I uh, uh, just was praying, believing that everything was going to be fine. You know, I said, you know, I was just wondering, you know, it's like, uh, you know, we might hit, flip, what I could, but I didn't never think about death. Never, never did. You know, never thought about that. And, uh, uh, well, you, you knew you weren't supposed to be landing in a cornfield. The pilot was you know, like no, 100 no, no. See, miles away. No, but we didn't know where we were going to, to land. You know, the pilot would have kept, you know, you know, kept, you know, the other pilot, one of the pilots, co-pilots kept walking back and saying, well, you know, we, you know, this, what's going on, what you're trying to do. And I remember we got over, then we were over Carroll, Iowa. I think it was Carroll, Iowa. And the pilot said, we think we see a place down there that we can maybe try to, to land. Okay. And the only thing I was thinking about, because, you know, I always had a little, at, at the time, thinking about flying, you know, maybe not a fear of flying, but just, you know, it would hurt me sometimes because of the weather. I was concerned about if it hits, you know, can't see with the flame flip over, you know, it might hit a hole or something like that. That's the only thing I was concerned about. See, because a DC-3, I know that, because I used to always study about planes, you know, read books about planes. A DC-3 was the most dependable plane that was ever made at that time. See? Because you can land that thing anywhere. It got these big wings that will glide. It doesn't just go right down. You know, the motor's cut off and it will glide. So anyway, so going down, that's what I was thinking. That if we, you know, thinking, hey, please don't hit one of these potholes in the plane. A flip. Okay? So anyway, so uh, we were circling around, circling around to find a place. And one of the guys said, hey, we think we see, see a field. I don't know what player it was. So I think it's a field down there. So the pilot turned the plane around, and it was snowing. And, and Pollock, you know, saw it, so he told us, you know, everybody get ready. He's going to try to land the plane. You know, they're going to go down. And it was the smoothest landing ever. I mean, we landed, boop, the plane hit, and just got out the plane, and, you know, corn stalks, corn, and everything else. But it was very smooth, smooth uh, uh, landing. And the thing about it, what's so funny about it, you know, we hear a bang on the door. After we landed, it was quiet. Everybody was quiet, you know. And then we heard a banging on the door, outside the door of the plane. And there was a guy out there, and he said, hey, you know, I hope everybody's okay, you know, anything they can do. And you know who it was? You'd never guess it was a town mortician. Because he said he heard his, you know, his plane over his house. It was a town mortician. Did you read that? <laughs> he thought he was getting some business. <laughs> well, it was a town mortician, yeah. And we, you know, it was really, really funny. That's probably the only time you're happy to see a mortician. <laughs> no, that's, that's who it was. The guy was a town, a town mortician. They said he was. You know, I think he had one of those black uh, cars, you know, what you call those hearse, not a hearse, but some of those cars there. You, yeah, didn't, you didn't get in his car to go back to the hotel or anything, did you? No, no. I think, you know what? I think that we rode in some of those things. I think that's how we got back to the hotel. I'm not sure, but I think we might have. We, we might have. Because you couldn't get no cab or anything. <laughs> I think that's how we got back. You know, to the hotel. I mean, oh, yeah, I think yeah, it was a hotel. I don't know the name of the hotel we stayed in. You could laugh about it now, though. Huh? You could laugh about it now. Could land what? You could laugh about it now. Oh, yeah, about it now. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, about it now. Because, I mean, everything was, you know, solid. You know, just, hey. You can't, you know. So the good Lord was with us. How did you end up becoming an executive with the Clippers? Uh, as I tell you, there's a the group here that, that, uh, uh, oh, I mean, he, oh, here in LA. Oh, in LA. Oh, it's LA. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I'm trying to think. It wasn't down 
I think I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was. God. Was it the Sterlings back then? With, with, with Sterling, well, there's two people that, let me see. I'm trying to think the attorneys that he had. Uh, uh, one name was, let me see, Arn Tellum. And, uh, and the other attorney, I can't remember the other attorney's name right off. It was one of the two attorneys that, you know, that I knew. You know, that, uh, and so happened, you know, they had talked about it and matched me if I would be interested in, you know, you know, working with them. So I said, yeah. Did you make all the personnel decisions, or were there people under you making the decisions? Oh, no, no, no. We, no. With making decisions, the owner would always make the final decision. How much are you going to pay a guy? Is this the guy you want to take now? As far as drafting, you know, you, you, you know, you have your, uh, uh, you know, head, you know, scout. You know, you have scouting people. You know, they give you information. They've seen players. You sit down, you talk. This guy, I go out and look at people. And we sit there and we decide, you know, we all want to agree. You know, we have to make, decide this is what we're going to do in the draft. Now, as far as signing players, the owner always made the final decision how much, you know, he wanted to pay the players. You know, if he made a trade, a deal, or the player's contract is up, or you want to renew the contract, the owner made the final decision how much money is going to be paid. That decision was not, I did not make that decision. Now, if you came along today as a player, you think you'd be a shooting guard? <laughs> what position I would play? I, you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I played, I, I played guard some. I played the small forward and I played the power forward. We traded Louis de LaRusso. And so I had to play power forward, you know, doing, we trade him during the season. So the rest of the season, I played power forward. And we probably had the smallest lineup in the league because, because I think, I, I think Jim Krebs might have been still alive. He was 6'8", the center. And Tommy Hawkins was 1'4", and I played the other. And I was just a little bit taller than Tommy. So I'm 6'5", so Tommy probably 6'4 and a half, 6'4 and three quarters. And we had a winning season. We went to finals with that team. And uh, uh, I'm almost sure we went. I'm almost sure we went to the finals. I think we went to the finals that year. I had to check and see the year after we traded Rudy Larusso. What I never got with the Clippers is, I mean, they shared an arena with the Lakers. I think they would have been better off staying staying in San Diego. Is it what? I think they would have been better off staying in San Diego, the Clippers, and going to L.A. I think they could have owned the town of San Diego, L.A. Basically, well, I mean, yeah, initially probably so, but I mean, I guess because the owner lived here and the people that's involved, I guess I don't know if there were other people that invested in the team, had money and stuff in the team. The attorneys, everybody's here, that were you know, uh, 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 you know, it's quite a drive, quite a ways from here to there, and I guess most of them here, the business and everything is here. Uh, probably that's why they want to stay here. But you guys, I never got why you never had an, your own arena. I mean, you had to share the arena, basically. It's like you were the stepsisters, which wasn't... Yeah, fair. right. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, but I mean, who's going to build a new arena? And see, I don't know the arena, and, and, and I guess San Diego wasn't that nice, but, you know, it was old. I guess an old place that they were playing in. And then you got to have the money from the city. I don't guess they were willing to put that kind of money to build a new, new arena, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answers. When are you going to have your book come out? I don't know. I've been asked about that, talked about that. A lot of people have approached me. I uh, uh, something I just want to think about. I don't know. I just you know. I don't know. I don't know. I've been you know approached many times. My wife has asked me about it. Friends have asked me about it.
And I said, you know, I have to think about that. Because think about it, if you're going to do something like that, you have to be totally honest, and there's some things you don't want to say about certain people. And uh, so I had to think about it. How difficult was it for you to decide to retire, to, to come to grips with the reality that, okay, I'm not the player I used to be? No, it, was, it wasn't difficult because, uh, to me, I was just facing a reality that I knew that I wasn't. And, and it was, I know how, uh, how, uh, uh, how uh, the effort, you know, it was, you know, was not the same. I mean, it was a really hard effort, you know, being able to do the things, you know, the, the maneuverability. I didn't have that, that, you know, flexibility, a lot of the things I just didn't have anymore because of the seriousness of my knees. My knees were bothered for some time. In fact, it started before this, uh, 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 <coughs> I'm sorry, it started before, 60, in fact, it started like around about 64, even before I tore my knee. You know, I was getting a shot of cortisones, I was getting butazolidine, taking medication, everything. You know, my knee, it started like 63, 64 season when it really, you know, started bothering me, my knees. And so uh, it was just inevitable that eventually, you know, it was going to take its toll. If you could start a team with five players, who would you pick? Uh, you know what? I, no, I, I, you wouldn't do that because I tell you what. Because some guys will get you know get pissed off because I wouldn't pick them. <laughs> but if I, the, the, the first, the, believe it or not, the first player I know I would take would be Bill Russell, and then they, you know, the other four would come. Bill Russell would be the first player if you want to win. Yeah, if you want to win, you, know, you would take Bill Russell. I've never seen a guy on a court with the demeanor that Russell had. He just there oh, was no smile. I know it's all about winning. You know. Yeah. Uh, that determination on his face and in his effort was... Oh, yeah. I mean, Russell, yeah, really. It's unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. Because you look at a lot of centers and you look at different skills they have. They, you know, a lot of them have more skills, offensive skills, probably passive skills and all that. But when it comes to desire, determination, and, and all the other things that goes along with it, you know, you can't, you can't be Russell. The only person so, who comes close is probably Jordan with the desire to win. Big pardon? The only person who might come close is Michael Jordan with the desire to win. Uh, I think Russell and Jordan, probably those two. No, no more. I, I don't know if one, you know, separate one. No, I don't know Jordan as well as I know Russell, but I know Russell. I just I can't see anybody with any more desire than, than, than Russell. It's a shame you don't see that kind of desire in today's players, like with the LeBron James, those type of guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. It's, it's it's different, but then again, you don't know. You know, you don't know. You don't know what you know what's inside of the person, what's inside of the player. Maybe he has the desire, but maybe he's afraid to. You know, I don't know. To, I don't know. Yeah. You know, did you ever think the NBA would rise to the level that it has? You know, you, you go back to, as you say to the days when you know players rode trains and. You know, the NBA Finals used to be on the tape delay and things like that. Of course, you know. Of course, you know. Man is, is fantastic. You always got to know that it's going to be more progress. Everything is going to be better. Absolutely, planes, planes, players, arenas, everything. Of course, players are getting bigger, taller. Of course, it's going to be to a point where you know I don't know where it's going to end, but certainly I felt that way. Everything's going to be better. Cars, homes, <laughs> everything. What a great interview with Elgin Baylor. Yeah, for him to take that much time to talk to us. And who are we? <laughs> Hall of Famer taking 40 minutes to talk to us is something else. Yeah. But he's a great guy. We want to thank our guest today, Elgin Baylor, also Jaslyn Omi. The Playboy Playmate for Miss April. Thank our Salman extraordinaire, Dave Olson. I'm David Spade with L.A. Harris. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com.